Hello, Labrastory. Thank you for having me. So the scientific villain I'm going to speak to you about is dear to my heart, in a bad way, I guess. Um, it's eugenics. So this is the science of improving the human race through better hereditary. And this is an evil science that, that led to the approximate death of about 11 million people during the Holocaust. But Nazi Germany did not invent eugenics. Rather, they were aiming to catch up, at least initially, with the United States, who were practicing eugenics via involuntary sterilization uh, for many decades when the Nazis came into power. And it all started in England. It all started in England with Sir Francis Galton. And I guess he's my evil villain. Um, Galton was born in 1822. I see what you mean about these skulls. They're all over the place. Um, and he was the younger cousin of Charles Darwin. He was a child prodigy, so at the age of two, he could read. At the age of five, he was fluent in Greek and Latin. And by eight, he could solve quadratic equations. He was a scientific polymath, which is someone who contributed to many branches of science. Why do one when you can do them all? So he actually invented meteorology. He was the first person to ever draw a weather map. He invented fingerprinting for human identification. And his classifications of loops and whorls and arches are still being used today. He invented regression in statistics, uh, regression towards the mean as potentially his greatest contribution to science. He also termed, uh, coined the term nature versus nurture. And he believed wherever possible one should count so much so that he tried to derive the perfect formula, the formula for the perfect cup of tea. That's how much he believed it. So he read, no, he devoured Darwin's book, The Origin of the Species, when it was published. And he, and he found this book an awakening. He wondered whether advances in healthcare and welfare had sullied the nation's gene pool, because they allowed the sick and disabled not to just survive, but lead normal family lives and to reproduce. Galton chose to study the hereditary of eminence, eminence which is best described, best defined in today's terms as awesomeness. And so he reconstructed pedigrees of eminent men in the UK at about 400 and 50 of them or more. And he completely ignored women, of course. And he discovered that about one in six of these eminent men were actually in related. So in 1883, Galton termed the co coined the term eugenics, taking two Greek words. And, and this word eugenics means um, well-born or of good stock. And he needed a word to describe the application of Darwin's theory of evolution and selection to humans. Now, this idea, it gained traction and was supported by many notable people in, in England. And in 1907, the Eugenics Education Society was founded. It doesn't exist anymore, by the way. 
Um, he proposed positive eugenics, whereby the state would financially reward those of good stock, those physically and mentally superior members of, um, of the population to choose partners with similar traits. The fear was that those of eminence married later and had fewer children, whereas those of lesser stock had more children. And so therefore the, the whole species or the, the race would weaken over time. These ideas and beliefs were not marginal. They were not limited to the far right. The socialist left also subscribed to this idea. George Bernard Shaw wrote, the only fundamental and possible socialism is the socialism of the selective breeding of man. Bertrand Russell, the mastermind of the welfare state, proposed that the state should issue colored-coded procreation tickets. Can you all imagine having a color-coded procreation ticket? I'd wear one, my, my one around my neck. Um, to prevent the gene pool of the elite being diluted by inferior human beings. Those who decided to have children with holders of different color tickets would be punished with a heavy fine. This person pioneered the welfare state. H.G. Wells praised eugenics as the first step towards the elimination of detrimental types and characteristics and the fostering of desirable types. These ideas spread across the Atlantic, and notably Charles Davenport, a Harvard-educated American biologist, met with Galton in 1902. This was a cornerstone moment in Davenport's career. Both he and Galton understood that it was their duty to, pr to protect the degradation of the human race through the thriving of the inferior, the feeble-minded, criminals and prostitutes. Selective breeding could transform the human race. And both Galton and Davenport believed the idea was of profound moral importance. They understood that they were both qualified to make this happen because they were at the top of the gene pool. They were the pinnacle of human evolution. Davenport sailed back to America and a few years later established the Eugenics Record Office in Cold Spring Harbor with money from the Rockefellers. Eugenics was supported as the solution to the problem facing the United States. This was the time of mass migration from Europe. American cities such as New York and Chicago were bursting at the seams with migrants. There was poverty, mass poverty was rising and crime was rising. They needed a wall, I think. Um, white Americans were worried about the future of their nation. Eugenic societies popularized the idea, and probably, maybe most disturbing, they would have prizes at fairs. They would go to county fairs, and they would judge children on their fitness, and they'd put them on a pedestal like a prize dog. And families would be judged for fitness based on their favorable traits, and they'd pose for photographs in front of the Eugenic Society Hall. Eugenics came to stand for modernity. To believe in it was to declare one's belief in science and rationalism, to be liberated from religious qualms. In 1907, Indiana was the first state in the United States and the first place on earth to pass laws to allow the sterilization of undesirables. 
Other states, including California, soon followed. By the early 1920s, eugenics and racial hygiene were household terms, and 3,000 Americans had been involuntarily sterilized. Sterilization of the feeble-minded was challenged at the Supreme Court in the famous Buck versus Bell case of 1927. The verdict from a Supreme Court Justice Holmes said, three generations of imbeciles is enough. So this woman, Carrie Buck's mother, had been judged to be an imbecile and was in a facility. And so Carrie Buck's fallopian tubes were tied. The verdict opened the floodgates and ultimately 60,000 Americans would be involuntarily sterilized. When Adolf Hitler wrote his famous book, Mein Kampf, he said he needed to emulate the Americans, what they were doing to catch up. In 1932, Ernst Rudin, a prominent German biologist, attended the International Federation of Eugenics Organizations Conference in New York and was elected president of the society. Rudin then went on to mastermind the Nazis' eugenic program, and in 1933, the Nazis passed a law, the Prevention of Genetically Diseased Offspring. That was the name of the law. This was based on the Buck versus Bell case. The idea of the biological divide between the fit and the unfit was no Nazi invention. It was the conventional wisdom of the developed world. There was a eugenic society of Victoria, and the founder, it was founded by Richard Berry, who was the professor of anatomy at the University of Melbourne, where I used to work, and Gary used to work, and Peter over there did his study. And, and, the, reader, and, the, and the membership of the society read like the who's who of Melbourne's elite. But the Nazis took the idea of eugenics to a horrific extreme with Hitler's final solution. And we all know that history. So I want to finish with how, how do we prevent this from happening again? How do we prevent humanity from going down this dark, dark path of eugenics? So in our current age, we can all order our own genomic test through 23andMe or Ancestry and others. We, we live in an age where embryos are screened screened for genetic disease prior to implantation using IVF. We live in an age where we have sophisticated gene editing technology such as CRISPR-Cas9. So how do we prevent this? So I believe there's two things, two things that we need to do. The first one is to remember. We need to remember that this happened. And the second is education. And there's where Gary Heim comes back in as an educator. <laughs> So these views are based on ignorance. These views that I've talked about were based on ignorance. They were based on a bigoted idea that there is such a thing as a master race, that one group of people are genetically superior to another. Genomics and DNA sequencing has taught us the exact opposite. So our understanding of biology today has taught us the exact opposite, that we are one species and that all races have strengths, unique strengths, just as all people do. Each of us individually has strengths. So education is key. 
Education that the views of genetics were based on an incorrect understanding of inheritance. Education that evolution has no master plan. There is no supreme race. And we need to educate ourselves that evolution favours diversity within a species. And just as we must, we must favour diversity. And with diversity and inclusion comes strength. So never forget, let us not repeat the mistakes of the past. Thank you.